0: My name is Mark, and I uh, normally I get to stand closer to there with a mic stand and stuff and lead you guys in worship, but this morning I was able to sit right down there during the worship, and holy moly, uh, man, I think, yeah, man, God is good, God is good. But this morning I'm gonna share uh, with you something that God has been kind of brewing in me for uh, months, uh, if not years. Um, We're gonna talk about what we should build. And I would say that we can either build uh, walls or we can build bridges. And today we'll be asking what we should build. Robert Frost was an American poet in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, really, really famous. I bet you. I bet you. You probably studied uh, at least one Robert Frost poem. Uh, if you were uh, anywhere in the 20th century, uh, a student, you would have studied probably at least one of his works. One of his most famous is called "The Mending Wall," and um, inside that poem is a line that most of you would know. You've heard before. Now, he he didn't write the line, but this is probably the most popularized uh, version of the proverb, and it is. Good Fences Make Good Neighbors. Anybody heard that before? Good Fences Make Good Neighbors? Yeah. So The Mending Wall is a story about two neighbors, one of whom is the narrator of the poem. And uh, he has just reached out to his neighbor for their annual ritual. They get a chance to walk along the cobblestone wall that divides their property. Uh, They do it every spring, and what they do is they repair the wall that acts as a fence between their two properties. Uh, this has been going on for, you know, time immemorial. At le- it, it seems to be that it, it happened even when um, their parents owned the property before them. And every spring they do this because somewhere along the way, big holes end up coming into this wall. And it falls down. You've probably seen these kind of walls before if you look at like English countryside photos, all these random stones. And they, they don't know why this wall keeps knocking down? There's this kind of ominous line near the beginning of the poem, and it says, "Something there is that doesn't love a wall." I love that. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. So they they walk the line, and uh, you know you can kind of visualize them picking up these rocks. Some of them are nice and flat, so they stack in easily. Some of them are. Kind of almost like little balls, and so you picture him putting it on there the the because it's a poem of course it's quite expressive and they say that they, they place them on there and they they cast a spell to make sure that they stay there of course what he means is they kind of cross their fingers they walk away and hope that it stays there and they know that it's going to fall down because next spring just like last spring it'll happen again and so at one point the narrator kind of muses to the, to his neighbor you know. There's really no need for us to be too particular about this. I mean, I have apple orchards on my side of the wall, and you have pine trees on your side of the wall. It's not as though my apples are going to sneak over and eat your pine cones, and I'm not too worried about the opposite. Um, But his neighbor says, Good fences make good neighbors. Good fences make good neighbors. I'm going to read part of it here. He doesn't say this out loud, but the narrator thinks this. He says, Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't that for where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense for something there is that doesn't love a wall. But he doesn't have the courage to say it out loud. He just keeps doing it and watching his neighbor, who he's known for his entire life, you know, with the bruised and blistered hands, picking up another rock. And as he's doing it, he repeats the line that he heard from his father when he was a kid before he ever could have conceived of its meaning Good fences make good neighbors. Church, we can build walls or we can build bridges. What should we build? One of the most famous passages of scripture, certainly in the entirety of the Bible, is the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have not read it, you can take out your phone right now and read it. It's amazing. Three chapters in Matthew, amazing, amazing, amazing. It's unbroken teaching of Jesus. Arguably, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture is found in there, and it's Matthew 7 12. We'll put that up on the screen here. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Have we heard this before? We know this one? I learned it as a kid uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Anybody got any, any do unto others in the house? Yeah, you know, do unto others. Do unto others. Um, that's called the golden rule. And it's not just called the golden rule in the little subscript on your Bible. It's actually pretty commonly referred to as the golden rule um, by philosophers uh, of all sorts, even, even the atheistic sort. This is sort of like the gold standard of relationality. And it turns out that um, most other religions or world philosophical systems have some sort of version of this um, in their teaching, It's very similar, but with at least one crucial difference. Uh, We'll show you an example of it right on the screen here. This is from uh, Confucius. He's a Chinese philosopher and leader that lived 500 years before Jesus. And this is uh, from his writing uh, that was collected called The Analects. It says, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. We see the difference there, right? If we if we had to translate that it would be don't do unto others we've got the do unto others and they've got the don't do unto others uh, this is called um, in the same kind of um, vernacular this is called the silver rule and I I like the silver rule I think the silver rule is a good idea uh, and in fact I think most of us think the silver rule is a pretty good idea. That's why we teach it to uh, our children. You see it in kindergarten class. You see a kid hitting, he's he's hitting, you know, whacking this kid in the face, and you go, wait, stop that. How would you like that if somebody did that to you? No? Well, then don't do it, right? You know what it feels like? So don't do unto others what you would not have them do unto you. And I I know for a fact that we have not perfected this quote-unquote (laughs) kindergarten-level teaching and I'm gonna go on a limb, I'm gonna try this. Raise your hand if you enjoy being cut off in traffic. (laughs) Not a hand. Raise your hand if you have been cut off in traffic. See, proof positive that, uh, now unless there are five-year-olds behind the wheels of these opposing offending vehicles, then we have adults who have yet to perfect the living out of the silver rule. You could kind of describe these these takes on reality as a a defensive stance versus an an offensive stance. Offensive, offensive, you might even say. Um, And that's actually part of the challenge, I think, in in the teaching that Jesus handed us with the golden rule is that in the wrong hands, it can be quite offensive indeed. Uh, There's an Irish playwright, his name is George Bernard Shaw, and he's quoted as saying, do not do unto others as you would that they should do unto you, for their tastes may be different. And he's a bit of a cheeky fellow, not exactly the kind of guy that I'm hoping my daughter brings home for dinner, but I think his point, um, his point lands with me at the very least, and I'll, I'll, I'll try an example here. Um, suppose that you wanted to do something nice for me, because you're so sweet, you just are, you're so sweet. And so uh, you're out of Sobeys and you're doing your groceries and you see that they've just arrived, this, this wonderful, uh, fresh shipment of pineapple. We don't normally get pineapple that looks good here. You see this and you're like, man, this is straight out of the movies. This is some good pineapple. I'm going to buy one. I love pineapple. I'm going to give one to Pastor Mark. So you bring it home, and you you Google, like, how to do, like, pineapple origami. You know what I mean? Like, where you, like, and it's just, you have made this thing into, like, a swan or something ridiculous. Like, it is the most beautiful, uh, edible, elegant thing this side of Montreal. It's it's insane. And you bring it to me, and you have this sort of, like, demure look on your face because you're excited. You, you're just like, uh, here you go, Pastor Mark. I just want you to feel appreciated. Thank you. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. You really shouldn't have. And I will mean it. You shouldn't have. See, because I don't like pineapple. You should know this about me. Have you ever heard uh, the, five, the five love languages? Anybody ever heard of the five love languages before? Yeah. Oh, we got some cl- people like the five love languages. Um I, um, I have full disclosure. I've never read it. Uh, I've never. I've never. Oh my gosh! That was an audible gasp. I'm so sorry. Oh. Stick around. There's more to come. Um, I have not read it, but I have been exposed to the teachings of it several times, and I can attest to the fact that it is a game changer in terms of relationality, and especially within couples, how you relate to one another. Um, Google it afterwards, you might find it interesting, or you can ask them, and my guess is that they know it quite well. We don't need to name names. Um, but the gist of it is this, is that everybody relates and feels loved in different ways. He, he generally breaks them down into five different languages. And so let's just say, for example, you might feel loved because of words of encouragement. When somebody speaks kindly to you, that is a way that you feel loved. Spoiler alert, that's how I feel loved. Uh, That's mine as well. And I have a very encouraging wife, so I'm good to go. I feel loved all the time. However, it has taken me uh, at least five years to learn, maybe closer to 10 really, that she does not speak the same native language that I do. See, just because I feel loved when I receive words of encouragement, that does not mean that if I express words of encouragement to the people that I wish to express love to, that they'll necessarily feel the same level of love. We think that we need to treat people the way that we want to be treated, but maybe there's a layer in there that we're missing. Maybe, maybe therein lies the sort of complicated rub with the golden rule. Um, I would ask you this question. Does it seem likely to you that Jesus Christ, who was co-eternal and co-equal with the Father, who left heaven and gave up all his rights so that he could serve his Father by serving a broken and ungrateful humanity, does it seem likely to us that when he says, do unto others, he means do unto others according to your own self-interests and desires and will? Most likely not. I would say that the Apostle Paul says in in Philippians 2 that we should, if I can kind of paraphrase a little bit, look not only to our interests, but also to the interests of others. I mean, we all know that we are currently living in a world that is literally more connected than it ever has been before. We have access instantly to information from across the globe. And through the power of social media, we can develop and maintain relationships that we just literally never ever could have up until a decade ago. I mean, this is a brave new world, we might say, and it's gonna be a long time. It'll be a long time before all of the data comes in and we really know what the effects of this brave new world will be on our society, but we we are starting to see some early reports, some early indications, and the story is not as pretty as we might have hoped. We are seeing high levels of social isolation. Sometimes that level is highest amongst the people that are using social media the most. The people who are most social, so to speak, feel the most isolated. You know, we have a 24-hour news cycle that gives us the opportunity to know what's happening everywhere at all times, and yet we're not seeing a greater sense of brotherhood. What we're seeing is, first of all, increased social anxiety, and we're also seeing Increased levels of xenophobia, you know, being afraid of the other. We're seeing racial and we're seeing gender-based tensions all over the place. This brave new world is not exactly making us the brave new people that so far we've hoped that we would be. You know, in Corinthians, it says that one day we will be known fully, even as we are fully known. But for the most part, our societies are full of people who neither know people nor feel known by people, Jesus says, "So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you." For this sums up the law and then the prophets. And in the very next verse, he says this in Matthew seven thirteen and fourteen: "Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road." that leads to life, and only a few, only a few find it. I'm going to put up a diagram on the screen here, and it's a a potential uh, spectrum, I guess, of sorts. You could say how individuals operate within societies. If we start down here at the bottom, um, we'll see down here, essentially, this is a radical individualistic society. This is people who are operating according to their own Self interests. Now, sometimes we hear this, and we hear that they're being malicious, or they're like actively trying to hurt people. Nope, not actually the case. What what's, what's down here is that they're just simply trying to s- satisfy their own self nature. And there are whole philosophies of thought that think that this, if you can do this wholeheartedly, it will actually make the whole society happy. If everybody seeks their own good, uh, in spite of, and sometimes perhaps even at the cost of other people, there will be a sort of trickle-up society. This is a, a disregard for the other. Down here, we would see the word apathy. And as we move our way up a little bit further, kind of into this messy middle, we start to see um, a difference where we start to place limitations on ourselves. This is, this is sort of the silver rule area that we were talking about earlier. This is where we start to realize that if what we are considering doing will negatively impact somebody else, we will refrain. We will exercise a little bit of self-control here. We will start to feel bad for other people. In the middle here, we see sympathy. Not just disregard, but you start to feel for people. And as you work your way up here, you start to get a little bit closer to the top, and you realize, actually, after looking at this, that this is not exactly just a. This is not exactly just a diagram, but this is sort of a a road. See, down here we have a. This is a dead end. You can't go any further once you've gotten to the bottom here. But the top here is wide open. And we start to get a little bit f- further, closer to the top. This is where we start to be radically empowered to feel not just bad for people, but we start to feel with people. Up here we see empathy. And this. Is the golden rule. This is where we know people well enough to do for them that which they would have done for themselves. And as you start to work your way up here, like I said, the top here, this is a road. And this, we we see here, these these are societies, right? But this up here, this is a, this is more of a person. These are ideas, and this is an ideal, right? This is a gate. This is a way. This this is Jesus. The very top here. the The narrow road. This is Jesus. Given our selfish, fallen nature, okay? The way that we're born into this world, wanting what's best for us. Given the fact that the society and technology is building up walls all around us. Given the fact that the teeming mass of humanity is just pouring this way down this wide and broad road, bumping and jostling against us the whole way. I have to ask you, because I have to ask myself, how are we supposed to get all the way up here? How are we supposed to satisfy the demands of a holy and loving God? How are we supposed to live the perfect life that Jesus has called us to? and the gospel the good news is that we cannot the good news is that on our own we actually never could but Jesus could Jesus did you know Jesus Jesus does and and Jesus invites us into his perfection And once we have been found in Jesus, once we have been found in the gate, there's nothing, there's nothing that's going to stop us because we've not been invited into stagnance, but we've been invited into motion. We have not been invited into destruction, but we've been invited into creation. We are no longer on the defense, but we have been invited to be on the offense. We can build, we can build, we can build walls, or we can build bridges. And I guess the question is, what should we build? And I think the answer is that we should build bridges. If your hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ, and if you're living and seeking to live in his way in this world, well, actually, I think I need to pause there for a second because I'm, I'm realizing that, that's actually a pretty big if, I think. So when I say, if you're found in Jesus, you know, you, you've got to kind of stop there for a second because you can't go any further. This is not a self-help sort of a scenario. You can't actually just work your way up to the gate. This is actually, I don't know if it's always been this way, but I'm, I'm getting the sense that it has. This level of, of empathy is actually supernatural. It, it literally cannot be done on your own in the flesh. And so to get here, you have to be found in Jesus. And so this morning, if that's not something that you are familiar with, you don't know what I'm talking about, I would encourage you not to leave this place today until you've had the opportunity to find out what I mean when I say found in Jesus Christ. But for those of you who do know what I mean, for those of you who have made the decision you have been found by Jesus and are found in Jesus. I would encourage you to join me in asking this question this morning. And I I mean this because when I say this has been kind of working in me for months, like I am, if there was a mirror back there, I, I am literally preaching to myself this morning. Here's the question. Are there some some walls in our lives that we should have been converting into bridges? Are there some walls in our lives where there should be bridges? Let's hear again the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. This is earlier from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. He says, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can we say this last part together out loud with one really strong voice? In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. No, it says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. But if you build the walls up around it high enough, I would say that it might as well be hidden. So so what then? You know, what what am I saying? What am I asking us to do? Well, here's the thing. If you, like me, feel something, you feel this, this pull towards making sure that as a church, to, to really poise ourselves for the kind of radical, life-changing love that we really, we've been hearing stories about and that we feel that God is pulling us to, if you want to make sure that you are a person of the of the bridge rather than of the wall if you want to become a person of the the gate rather than the fence see here's the thing jesus jesus did not say i am the fence he said i am the gate he did not say he did not say i am the wall jesus said i am the way do you, do you know what people who believe in jesus used to be called before they were called christians followers of the way. Some of us, some of us need to make sure that we get back to that. that. We are making it easy and clear where people need to go and how they need to get to that top, how they need to find their way up to Jesus. So if you are like asking yourself, so what? Maybe I think that you you have a little bit of a point. Maybe Jesus is is, is, is tapping on me, but what am I supposed to do? Let me give you just four quick things that you can think about. The first one is ask. Ask. Ask questions. Listen, it is okay. It is actually really, really, really good for us as believers to know that we have the confidence, uh, that we have the answers to those sort of like deep, meaningful, gut-level questions. It's good. But we should not be super quick to give out our answers to other people, uh, especially to people who are not asking you any questions. If you know, in James it says that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. Ask questions. If you even if you think you really understand somebody, even if you think you've got a real good window into their world, it's absolutely incredible what asking just a few simple pointed questions can do to help unlock perspective that you've never seen before. If you want to build bridges instead of walls, ask questions. Number two, listen. Obviously, listen to the answer to the question. (laughs) Uh, Don't do what I do, which is sometimes just skip ahead. But listen not just to the answers to the questions, but listen to people's stories. This is incredible. I mean, societies have known for thousands of years the power of story. Whole oral traditions have been passed along, you know, generation to generation in ways that help communicate really the identity of that culture and help shape the individuals. So societies have known this, and science is finally starting to catch on. Guys, this is crazy. There's this, there's this thing that they can do, and I believe it or not, disclaimer, I am not a scientist, but I have read enough reports um, Through the process called neuron mirroring, scientists can put brain scanners on two individuals, one who is telling a story and one who is hearing a story. And guys, the person who's describing the story with all the details, digging into their memories and giving you kind of like vivid picture of what's happening, the process that's going on in their brain is almost identical to the process of the person that is hearing it. The same neurons are firing off in sync. Like, guys, that's crazy. What they're saying is the person who's hearing the story is virtually experiencing the story that the person is telling them. This is powerful stuff. So, like, if we want to be able to get— Pastor Joel a few weeks ago talked about that the limited nature of how even if we educate ourselves because of our self-centeredness, we can only see beyond our own horizon. Guys, if you want to see through somebody else's eyes— Stories. So this is powerful, but it does not come without a caution. We must be wise how we engage with these stories and whose stories we engage. So I'm not saying go carte blanche. But what I am saying, if you're interested, like me, in being a person of the bridge rather than a person of the wall, we cannot, church, we cannot afford to ignore the Holy Spirit-infused potential of engaging with the stories of other people. Ask, listen, and then serve. If, you, if you're having a hard time figuring out which questions to ask, having a hard time figuring out whose story to listen to, you can never go wrong with serving. And I mean, all you need to do is open your Bible to see the passages about serving. We don't even need to go there. But we know intrinsically what this relationship looks like, right? Uh, Hello, my name is Mark. I'll be your waiter today. You should eat the fish. You don't start with suggestions, right? I mean, listen, we might might get a little bit of a rapport here, and eventually I might ask for a suggestion, but hello, my name is Mark. I'll be your server today. How can I help you? If you're having a hard time figuring out the right questions and the right stories, serve. Ask, listen, serve, and... Pray. Above all else, pray. After everything has been done, pray. Before anything has been done, pray. At every single step of the way, pray. Every time that you are tempted to pick up the rock that you have and to use it to create a wall, to somehow distance yourself from the perspective of another person, to somehow diminish the God-childedness of somebody else, pray and ask yourself and ask God, Father, in this moment, what do you want me to build? I could build a a wall or I could build a bridge. What should I build? What should I build? Ask, listen, serve, and pray. To do unto others Jesus is calling us to truly know others, to be with others. There's a philosopher named Brene Brown who says that sympathy can kind of disconnect us, but empathy, it connects us. You cannot hug somebody from the other side of a wall. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Rome, chapter 12 of Romans, verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. With. Don't rejoice for those who rejoice. Don't weep for those who weep. That's sympathy. We're called to more than that church. We need to be people who are rejoicing with, who are weeping with. We need to be knocking down, whenever possible, walls. And we need to be building bridges. We are people of the bridge. So, listen. I know. I've sat through a lot of sermons and I know how this works. A lot of us, many of us at the very least, we think, good word, it was good. Maybe. Uh, and then, you know, but it's it it kind of it, it bounces off. And that's okay. That's a bit of the law of the averages. That's kind of how things work. Sometimes sometimes God really and then sometimes He doesn't. If that was you today, I pray that a seed was sown. But if if you like me, There's something in this that just you can't seem to shake off now. Now you feel it a little bit, then I'm just gonna we're gonna talk for a second here, okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna invite you to stand in just a moment. When I do that, I'm gonna ask us to just have a a brief moment of prayer, a silent moment of prayer. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray, and then I'm I'm it's not gonna be awkwardly long, I promise, but there's gonna be a pause. And in that pause, I'm gonna ask God to help us to 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 visualize The walls that we need to knock down. God helping us, Holy Spirit living inside us by the work of Jesus Christ and to the glory of God the Father, but perhaps with our own hands. Okay, you with me? Let's stand up together. Father God, for those for whom your spirit is speaking in this this moment, I just ask that you would grant clarity and direction, because we know that you have not just called us to think differently, you've not just called us to feel differently, but you've called us to live and to do differently. We are not just people of the defense. We're people of the offense, God. And help us. Lord, in this moment, please reveal some walls. God, now that you have spoken, God, would you you also grant us courage to be able to take those steps? Because we've believed for so long that good fences make good neighbors, but now we know that something there is that doesn't love a wall. Empathy doesn't love a wall. Unity doesn't love a wall. Someone there is that doesn't love a wall Oh, let, let us be filled. Holy Spirit, let us be filled with compassion for the one. And then let